Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right. All right. Let's go. <laughs> it's probably going to be this week, guys. The thing that everybody has been waiting for, the announcements that everybody's been waiting for, the f- <laughs> there's, a, there's quite a bit of clamor all over Bitcoin Twitter and outside of Bitcoin Twitter. Highly anticipated events probably dropping this week. Good morning. And welcome. Good morning, Neil, Tomer, Terrence, Jacob. Shout outs to all of you Cafe Bitcoiners in the audience. Good morning. Let's see. It is Monday, January 8th, 2024. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin, episode 510. Shout outs to our sponsors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Fountain, Overcast. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal in a sea of noise and teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there is hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin today. Obviously, we're going to be talking about ETFs. And then you are also going to notice we are going to have a slew of new co-hosts all week this week. And we, as we have some changes, big changes happening with the show. I'm going to talk about this very briefly, and then we're going to dig into the news and the topics for today. So the time has come for me to pass the baton. I am not going to be hosting Cafe Bitcoin after this week, but I will be hosting it all week this week. And we have some amazing new hosts that are going to be hosting the show. We're going to be covering news. We're going to be discussing things pertaining to Bitcoin. You can also expect to see great guests who are knowledgeable founders of Bitcoin companies and projects in the Bitcoin space. So it's going to continue and we're going to keep rolling with Cafe Bitcoin for who knows how long. Anyway, I want to welcome, as, as I mentioned, Neil Jacobs is co-hosting with me today. He's going to be one of your new hosts moving forward into the future. Yeah, thanks for having me on stage. I'm super excited to be here. Super excited to host and co-host for the foreseeable future. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. This is going to be a big week. And yeah, what a way to kick it off. Okay, you know what? I had told Jacob that we were gonna we were gonna roll with with a video or an intro song, and I completely forgot what the plan was because I just went into my regular mode of explaining what we're doing today. Yeah, this is the vibe I think for today. Roll it. Which one's the best crypto asset? Bitcoin's the best crypto asset. Okay. What's the second best? There is no second best. There's no second best crypto asset. There's a crypto asset. It's called Bitcoin, right? There's no second best, okay? 
but take all your money, buy Bitcoin, then take all your time, figure out how to borrow more money to buy more Bitcoin, then take all your time and figure out what you can sell to buy Bitcoin. And if you absolutely love the thing that you're that you don't want to sell it, go mortgage your house and buy Bitcoin with it. And if you've got a business that you love because your family works for the business that's in your family for 37 years and you can't bear to sell it, mortgage it, finance it and convert the proceeds into the hardest money on earth, which is Bitcoin. Here we go. It looks like the ETFs are likely to be announced within the next couple of days, could even be today. And apparently at this point, the most recent round of filings with the ETFs are, they are now fighting over market share by lowering their starting fees. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? Wow, it's amazing that BlackRock's coming in with 0.3% annualized. That's starting to look like Vanguard levels, right? But I guess with all the competition and what I think are pretty good ads by Bitwise, Vanek, maybe it's not so unsurprising. Or I don't know if it's Bitwise that did the the other ad, but Vanek was definitely one of them. And then Bitwise, I believe, had seeded their ETF with 200 million. Grayscale is going from GBTC, 2% annualized fee, as many of us know, to just to 1.5%. So not a big cut, although they can waive. So yeah, the big news is BlackRock at 0.3% annualized. Who's going to be selling Bitcoin through these ETFs when they buy? Like, with, This to me is, the, is like the biggest question. For the record, I'm not selling, right? And I'm not selling for a long time, but especially when there's a wall of, like when there's a wall of demand that can come in and it's so anticipated, there's always people who sell at some point in time, but at what price? So it's just, it's, it, I think it's a very curious thing. I'm not calling for crazy numbers. I'm just asking the question, like who would, who in their right mind would sell at this point in time? Give, given what we're expecting. Uh, maybe something negative will happen that will cause people's confidence to be questioned. But like, raise your hand if you're selling Bitcoin at the start of this BT ETF. And the, the reason I ask it is because how are the ETFs going to get the Bitcoin? Because <laughs> they need to buy them. So there's, who's going to sell it to them at 45? Who's going to sell it to them at 46? Who's going to sell it at 47? It just seems crazy. Like The only people who would need to sell are miners to pay bills. But that's not a lot of Bitcoin that's being mined. And by the way, in a few months, it's only half as much. Yeah, I would say the only people right now that I could see selling are those who aren't really into Bitcoin in the first place and saw this as a trade like a month ago on a whole buy the rumor, sell the news type of event. Gotcha. And it's just purely a trade and they're expecting a dump either right before or as the news comes out. But yeah, I don't know who else would be selling right now. But there, there will be some. You're right. There will be some. There's always people who. There's a handful of different situations where there will be people selling. One might be someone's an OG Bitcoiner and they're sitting on a gigantic and a gigantic stack of Bitcoin, and they just want to maybe sell some of it. That could happen. You could also see. People who bought in near the last all-time high, 
who they watched it go down and sideways for 510 days. And the entire time they're thinking to themselves, man, if I can just get even to where I bought it, I'm getting out. They didn't, these are people who never bothered to research what they bought after they bought it. All they know is the price went down and sideways for 510 days. And they promised themselves, as soon as this gets to where, anywhere near where I bought it, I'm selling this dog. They're going to kick themselves hard in 10 years, but they're going to do it. And then there will be some. The big question, I think, is it, <laughs> is the amount of capital that the ETFs are going to bring, assuming they're buying spot BT, they're actually buying spot BTF, and I don't have any reason to assume they won't. What is the ratio? Like how much comes available for sale versus the amount of money coming in? I've seen a lot of people talking about what's going on right now in terms of how much volume we could see somewhere between one and $5 billion in a day. I'm not sure that's ever happened before with a lower supply, available supply than we've ever seen in history. So this is, I don't know, Samson Miles out there calling for a million dollars. I don't know if that's going to happen. But, uh, that's a little, that's really crazy. But um, it, it really feels like that HODL meme uh, is going to be shouted from the rooftops when these things start to break, except not on Bitcoin talk and not on Reddit, but all over Twitter. People saying, don't sell, HODL, hold on tight. This is a great time. And, and I think when that f meme first came out, it was when Bitcoin was crashing and plummeting. This will be the flip side of it. We'll see. I want to know what you guys think about what is everybody's reaction going to be on Wall Street? Maybe, Terrence, you could speak to this. The first time that price moves up or down enough where normally they would do their circuit breaker thing and Bitcoin keeps trading without them. Like what happens there? Just as a clarification, I, I saw some tweets. People were commenting on, on this. And apparently ETFs aren't subject to the circuit breakers in the same way that individual stocks are. Because ETFs are commodity-based and commodities do tend to keep trading. So I'm not certain of, what the, of whether these circuit breakers actually exist. But if they did, this would definitely cause some kind of revisitation. And one of the things, there's many reasons why you might prefer to hold spot Bitcoin over ETF, real Bitcoin over ETF Bitcoin. One of them is ETF Bitcoin can only be bought and sold when markets are open and markets aren't open on weekends and they're not open on holidays and they're sometimes subject to closures due to technical issues or these or these freezes for periods of time so it's you're surrendering an option to transact at any point in time right bitcoin exchanges are open all the time and the bitcoin network is open all the time the Bitcoin network is never down. When you own real Bitcoin, you can use it at any point in time. You can trade it at almost any point in time. And when you own spot ETF Bitcoin, you can trade it when the banks are open um, and, and trading and when the stock markets are open and, and trading and you can't spend it. So there, there's a lot. There actually are quite a few differences. The, the ETF really only tracks the price and you can only realize that price during stock market hours. So even without these, these measures where they stop this, the stock market from trading, you still are actually, most of the time you can't trade 
your your Bitcoin ETF, right? It's only from 9.30 to 4.30 p.m. on Mondays through Fridays and not on holidays. That's a minority of the time. That's like less than the amount of time you spend to sleep. And so I could imagine a cycle. That's a very good point that you just made, Tomer. I could imagine seeing this pattern emerging where the ETFs are trading during the day. And as Sam, as you pointed out, Samson Mao came out and said ETFs don't have circuit breakers. They're only paused if the underlying asset can't be traded. And then he posted a tweet by Alistair Milney, I think is his last name, explaining this. But the other really good point here is that, the, that Bitcoin is trading 24-7. So even though the markets are only open for trading ETFs a certain period of time, what happens after hours? What if Bitcoin pumps in the evening? I don't know. Maybe what we'll start to see is we'll start to see patterns where Bitcoin is selling in the evening, or maybe it's pumping in the evening. Either way, I suppose what's going to have to happen is these ETFs would have to try to equalize that nav every day on open, right? Does anybody disagree with that? No, I think that they'll open at the adjusted price because that's what the markets will be. It's not the way that works. There's an underlying asset that has a certain amount of value. And what will happen, for example, when the shares are based upon the, the, what they're trading in the market. So that's how you get discounts and premiums on a share price versus the underlying asset. And so what I'm saying is you're gonna, you could have deltas overnight because Bitcoin will just keep trading and then the market will open the next day. What do they do? It, but it'll open at the fair market value at that time. So like the market makers, so let, let's say Bitcoin goes, let, let's say the ETF comes out, Bitcoin's trading at 50,000 at the close of business on the first day and overnight it goes up to 55,000. Just like after hours trading takes place for stocks and the price moves and then the price opens at a different price and it closed the night before, you'll see the same thing. You'll see that $5,000 increase reflected in the first trades of the day on the ETF. Like the ETF won't give you some kind of arbitrage opportunity. I, that's not the way it works. But, but the ETFs aren't the ones making the market, I guess is what I'm getting at. That's yeah, where... They're, but their market makers are required to sell. Like it, it's an arbitrage opportunity. Like their market makers operate on a very competitive basis to simultaneously buy share, buy units in the ETF, or, or issue, sell units in the ETF and buy Bitcoin. And we might have someone who's a bit more skilled at describing the exact process of what happens. But there's actual market activity, buying and selling activity. Every time you buy, there are orders for Bitcoin ET for ETF units, and these market makers issue and retire the units or buy and sell the units back to the ETF who issues and retires them on the basis of spot price. So it, it probably would be good to have someone who knows exactly how this process works come and, come and talk about it if, for people who are curious. But... I'm but, sure people are curious. So if, if you're an expert on this stuff and you're in the audience, you want to come up, maybe you can come up. Talk was, about, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, it was news to me. I just, I guess, assumed that pausing or circuit breaking mechanism was just a unanimous thing on these regulated markets, but it's only stocks from what you guys are saying. So that's interesting. I didn't know that. Well, that's what Samson Mao said. I don't know that for sure, but I find Samson Mao to be fairly credible. I guess we'll find out. 
We have, the, but just for the record, speaking as a Canadian, where we've had ETF and highly liquid closed-end funds for a few years, I'm pretty sure we've we had these, because it was during the bull market, we had these experiences where the price went up a lot overnight or over the weekend, because this was when Michael Saylor was doing his big buys. And at those points in time, when the ETFs came out, they were always efficiently priced. There, there was never any kind of arbitrage opportunities. With the closed-end funds, just like with GBTC, there were premiums and discounts and all that kind of crazy stuff because they don't, they don't act in the market in real so, time. So maybe the... Okay, so maybe they're going to arbitrage it each night so that there's not some huge delta be no, interesting they, they, to they see. Are, so I, my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, so I, I may be wrong in saying this, is that essentially the creation and destruction of units happens in real time during market hours. If someone places a $100,000 buy and there's nobody selling at, the, at that time, the, then new units will be issued to them and the market makers will buy $100,000 worth of Bitcoin in the market to back those units. Yeah, but in this case, the trust is doing the buying and selling of the Bitcoin. That's the major change that the, the SEC wanted. They wanted cash settled. So this is going to be fascinating to watch. Let's move on a little bit. I don't want to get too bogged down on this particular yeah. item. Go ahead, Terrence. I just have one thing to add. So first, the ETF is a security, not commodity, but also, I think I heard someone say it was a commodity, but also I think we can learn from the IAU and GLD gold ETFs that do trade at some premium or discount to NAV over time. I'm not sure the exact mechanism. I agree with Tomer. It would be good to get an expert up here. Okay, um, but that, this is the part that I was saying is different, is that these other ones, they do creation and redemption of baskets of shares in kind. And the SEC is required that it's cash settled. That's why I was asking because, yeah. yes... You could theoretically look at those ones, but the mechanism is literally different now. Like it's a big difference. So I don't know whether it's a big difference in terms of how this will actually be arbed out, but we're going to find out. So well, yes, I feel one like, thing that's almost certainly okay. going to be true is there's no way that the ETF is going to outperform actual Bitcoin. If you buy real Bitcoin, there's people charging fees, making markets. We don't know the exact mechanisms and everything else, but they're not doing it. For, as a charity, They're well, it, it could on a short delay because what would it would, and who knows how long the delay would be, but it would probably be short. Like in in essence, the shares in the stock market of the ETF gets bid up. There creates a delta between the share value and the underlying value of the asset, and then the ETF is going to probably want to go into the market and then buy the Bitcoin, which will then push the Bitcoin price up. Hopefully, but if they're not buying it based, so this can be super interesting. Like I said, mm -hmm. so I feel like if if what you're talking about, Alex, that the effect would be different between cash crates and in kind. I feel like one of the Bloomberg guys or one of the other experts that have been opining on this would have mentioned it because they were making it seem like the only difference was maybe tax, maybe not, and then. The, the market make it would be more friction for the market makers who might already have Bitcoin in inventory that they can't just deliver that. They have to deliver cash and then only the ETF issuer is the one that um, goes out and buys the Bitcoin through their custodian. 
Correct. Okay, let's move on. Again, I don't want to get bogged I, down into yeah. this. I want to could... throw one other thing into the mix, which is maybe moving on, but if you want to move away from the ETF, that's... No, we're going to talk about the ETF the entire show. I just okay, want to move great. away from speculating on how they're going to arb the price of the underlying share great. or the underlying asset versus the share value. Good. Move on can, from that. Can, can I make one other point then, which is not related, which is moving? It's like Bitcoin is a commodity. The ETF is a security that tracks the commodity. Why do people buy commodity ETFs? It's because people can't take delivery of pork bellies or barrels of oil or gold or silos of grain. Bitcoin's a commodity you can personally take delivery of and you can personally ship, right? It's not only you can't take delivery of barrels of oil, it's hard to then send barrels of oil somewhere. Well, how do you store them? What are you yeah. going to do? You're going to get a warehouse, and you're going to buy an ship. oil tanker, right. then you got to, yeah, yeah, all of it. So for 150 bucks, you can get a hardware wallet, which can store any amount of Bitcoin and send it anywhere in the world. So this is the first commodity that you can really own in in investment size lots. Like you, you don't hold, you, we all have gasoline, but just what fits in our gas tank and it's for personal consumption. We all have wheat, but it's, in the, it's already baked into bread and it, for only for personal consumption. This commodity you can actually hold, and this commodity, when you hold it, has no deterioration. Right? It doesn't go bad. It's not timed. It's the real. It's the real commodity, and you can take full possession of it. And and for me, a little bit of the thinking on this is, these ETFs will be people's first taste of being exposed to the price of Bitcoin. But when they actually understand that they can hold the commodity itself, use the commodity if they want to, or then sell and dispose dispense of the commodity without needing all these intermediaries, things will change. This is not an overnight thing, but people will realize, oh, I don't need middlemen to hold Bitcoin for me. This commodity, I don't, I can speculate on it without middlemen and I can use it entirely on my own. And, and the, it's just, it's revolutionary. It's unprecedented. It's never happened before in commodity markets. So many things with Bitcoin are things that have never happened before that people will try to use it in the old way and and it'll be something will feel wrong and then they'll they'll realize oh I can use it the way that it's meant to be used and then they gradually or suddenly move in that direction yeah the thing about being able to custody your own asset in in substantial value to valuation terms is new to the human race like you, you have any idea what you need to custody a billion dollars worth of gold or a billion dollars worth of oil. It's a much different ball of wax in terms of your costs and logistics and all the things. That you can't do that it. on a USB key? Mm. You can't, can't do it on a USB key. You can't key. memorize 12 words and store a billion dollars worth of oil in, in those 12 words? I don't think so. I want to say good morning to Gary Leland. Morning, Gary. Thanks for joining us. Do you have any thoughts on what we've been discussing so far? I haven't been here long enough to get into the conversation yet, but thanks for the welcome and bringing me up. I'll jump in later when I get caught up. You bet. Okay, let's jump into fees. So right now, it looks like a quite a bit. There's a competition going on. <laughs> Fidelity is listed at 0.39. ARC and VanEck are 0.25. Uh, Bitwise is 0.24. BlackRock originally came in with 0.30, but they have adjusted that to 0.20 for 
for the first, I think it's 12 months or first $5 billion until they reach $5 billion. Pretty fascinating. Day one, like they're already racing each other for lower fees. That's a free market, baby. Right? <laughs> that's a, and that's a free market of people selling a commodity. I'm not t- these are securities, not commodities, but when, every, when what everybody's selling is the same thing, it's, <laughs> the price goes, approaches the marginal cost of production pretty quickly. Yeah, also last I read Invesco Galaxy, they were offering six months free and came in at 0.59%. There's also something about up to five, the first $5 billion. Yeah, I, I think trading commissions for people who pay them, that's what's going to be much more noticeable than the fees, right? And, and that's why, it's again, this people need to create a comparison table in their minds. I have to pay brokerage fees. I have to pay management fees. What And then maybe there's some, we don't understand it yet, but maybe there is some potential loss, some discrepancy in the price of the ETF over the long term versus the performance of the underlying asset in the long term. Whereas with holding Bitcoin, the fees you pay are, there's either a brokerage fee or a trading fee, sometimes sometimes a little bit of both, but in most cases, companies seem to charge only one or the other. And then if you're taking delivery on your own, which you ought to, there is a transaction fee, which might be the mm-hmm. fee to mine and your transaction into self-custody, which is something like, let's say, $50. It moves around from $1 to maybe as much as high as 100 under uh, big times. But that's still a lot less than uh, brokerage fees on significant amounts of money. So it'd be good if someone published a comparison table, an in- interactive calculator at some point in time, too. Yeah, I feel the only fees here are, yes, if you have a Schwab account and they're charging you per trade, 20 bucks a trade or 5 bucks a trade or whatever it is. Then you pay that, and then you pay the bid offer, right? But th- that's the part that's hidden. These should be pretty liquid, at the, especially with the BlackRock or whatever. Whoever has the most volume. Initially, it might be Grayscale because they're starting off with $25 billion, And as it converts from 2% to one5 some will be asleep or not really care, too lazy to move it to a much cheaper place. Some will miss the chance to, now that the discount is narrowing, the NEV discount, they'll miss the chance to convert to cash, then buy real Bitcoin and self-custody. So Bitcoin, not ETF, as Brady Swenson had said. And But I think the bottom line is that then they have these annualized fees. There's no sort of upfront fee or terminal fee on these. And so I think the fees are just the annualized fee of 0.2% or more free in some cases for a period of time and then the the trading fee that they pay and then the commission the bid offer yeah i was trying to distinguish between like when a company like swan sells bitcoin and charges you a fee it's a one-time fee when you buy when you buy an etf and they say it's a 0.3 percent or something that's an annual fee it's a fee you pay every single year that you're holding that you're holding it you when you hold actual bitcoin when you hold actual bitcoin whether in a custodial account or whether in self-custody nobody's charging fees for that there are products like where there's the shared custody or the uh, collaborative custody where you pay for the collaborative custody feature 
And sometimes that's a function of an absolute price or the balance that, that you hold. But holding the real Bitcoin costs nothing other than the entry and exit from it, whereas holding an ETF has an ongoing fee. There's lots of competition right now, so the fees are substant- sound like they're going to be pretty low. But, uh, but the dis- that's the distinction I was trying to get at, at least. I got you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I would say it encourages people. It's another incentive for people to buy and hold, right? Because otherwise they have these transaction fees If they, with the real Bitcoin. The transaction fees are a little bit higher. And then with no annual fee, it encourages you just to hold it longer because there's no cost to holding it uh, longer. So, I think there's going to be, um, at some point, People who bought the ETF will regret not being able to spend the Bitcoin directly. Just my opinion. Oh. <laughs> Mitchell. That's Mitchell. And, the, and I predict the sun will rise tomorrow. Like that, that is, imagine being, st- imagine being stuck. Imagine having a million dollars worth of cash, but you can't spend it because you have to sell it through something and then pay a commission and then take delivery. They don't understand else. that part yet, though. I know. That's I know. the thing. Yeah. I know. That's that's where the there's so much education to still happen in this world. And Bitcoin, it doesn't have a head office. It doesn't have a central office. There's lots of people who have different understandings of it and different incentives attached to it. So there's lots of people who are trying their best to educate, some who are getting things right, some who are getting things wrong. And there are people who are trying to miseducate for all sorts of reasons. And this puts the challenge on. And I, I think this is why it's taken so long to get to the point where regulators are approving people trading in Bitcoin because there's nobody to hold to account. There's nobody to say, hold on a minute, you're the official spokesperson of Bitcoin and you said that X, Y, and Z is true about it. It's not actually true, so you need to pay a fine and go to jail. This platform, X, Twitter, whatever you call it, is just filled with people speculating about Bitcoin, making statements about Bitcoin all the time. And a lot of people in my opinion, are, are spewing a lot of bullshit. Often, and, and they're just throwing as much shit against the wall and see, to see if it sticks because they have other incentives other than purely educating about Bitcoin. But we openly admit here a lot of the time, we don't know exactly this. We don't know exactly that. This is why we think this. This is why we think that. So we try to provide at least an honest speculation on what's going on here. But ultimately, everyone has... This is ultimately about responsibility. And and this has been one of the things where, you know, the regulator thinks that they have to be responsible on people's behalf because people can't be responsible on their own. And that's another thing that's being somewhat shattered by by Bitcoin. So there's just... There's so much going on here. It's incredible. Yeah, thanks for uh, bringing me up. I just wanted to chime in on that, that fees point because I think it's really critical Bitcoin's designed to be held for years and decades and paying an annual fee, even if it's 20 basis points, that's going to add up very quickly. Whereas if you're just buying through Swan or something, paying 1% up front, you're going to be far better off in the long run. Yeah, that's a great point. The fees fees compound, right? The power of compounding interest rates, even if it's a low rate, it's not 0.2% each year. It's 0.2 of your now 0.9998. And so it just, there's a compounding effect, uh, which means that it, you, that there's an accelerating rate. Every, it, it means it's exponential, even though it's a low number. So if you're planning on holding for a long time, holding in your own self-custody where there's no leakage whatsoever is the ideal. Okay, let's talk about the grayscale um, fee for a second. They're coming in at 1.5%. You guys, Terrence briefly mentioned this, but do you guys reckon that they're going to gain 
uh, AUM or are they going to lose AUM because of this? Slow bleed. Could be a slow bleed. I think there'll be an initial mass exodus and then slow bleed, just like people have whatever it is, AOL or whatever accounts where they were paying these fees and not really noticing people who either um, just forgot that they had the GBTC or forgot they had it in different accounts and forgot one account to sell it out of. I'm with Terrence. I think a lot of people are like, Bitcoin moves so much, 1.5% versus 0.3%. What's the difference? The fee that I got to pay to get out, maybe I'll get out a little bit later. I think people are just going to be focused on price movement for a long time and not that concerned with fees. It's the it's all the new entries that are trying to gather funds under ma- management that are trying to do whatever they can. And the only thing they can do is, is offer free or negligible fees to to bring people in. So I don't think that there's going to be like a mass rush in our ma- and a mass exodus. It's just the trading fees are going to make it not necessarily worthwhile to rush into it for a lot of people. They won't want to be unexposed to Bitcoin for the period of time that that they will be. Yeah. But to be clear, the, I do think, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, plus the tax consequences, because they can't just necessarily move from one ETF to the other. So they have to incur a capital gains sales. I'm thinking that the GBTC, and especially when they start to see the price action, they were going to just stick along. They're like, we've held this long and we've been stuck this long. Let's just hang in there. Yeah, if they're they're in the money, I think some are not in the money. So so I'm saying, to be clear, I think there will be a net. Terrence, um, Bitcoin's going to be a million dollars. It's all going to be in the money. Be hey, careful, okay? It, that I is one shifted the Overton window, and you know, he's a joke. much better actor than someone like Balaji, who's just a cloud chaser. And the million dollars now is much more realistic than it was like a year ago when Balaji made his ridiculous prediction. In my view, well, one hundred percent speculation. Just for the record, Swan is not saying it's going to do that. I was joking. I know you were. Fun. I know you were, so was I this morning, but there's a podcast and people listen to this on the pod. They might not catch the... Good point. Anyway, uh, okay, last comment on the fees and then let's switch gears here. Vanek is committed to donating 5% of spot ETF profits over a decade to Bitcoin core developers. That is really cool. That might be one of the coolest things I've seen announced by any of these ETF folks, because the amount of fees these guys are going to generate is incredible, I think, my opinion. And the fact that they're willing to give some of that back to Bitcoin Core developers is absolutely fantastic. Yes, and $10,000 up front. The 5% they have to get approval for, but I think they'll get it. Like, why would you reject it? It's such a great thing. It's all going to Brink, and there are competing either independent developers you can fund or just competing sort of organizations. So it'd be nice if there are copycat organizations that do this, that they consider the alternative. So it's not all centralized at Brink. Brink is a good actor. These are all good actors right now, in my view, but it's just better to spread it around, in my view. Yeah, my there is. Go ahead. My thought on this is just how nice it is to see that these ETF fund managers, or at least one of them, 
has looked beyond just, oh, what's this thing as an investment instrument? And actually understands, oh, there's a core group of developers who are volunteers and who need to get paid to do the work that they do to keep this thing at its very best. And if we're actually going to be investing in this on behalf of unit holders for whom we're managing a fund, what can we do that's good for the asset? And what you can do that's good for the asset is definitely support the open source development. So uh, who knows how it'll play out, whether they'll generate a lot of money, whether they'll actually do the right thing with the money, yada, yada, yada. But just that they're even aware that there is an open source development community and that you can fund developers is nice. Yes, the other thing to add is I hope some of these developers are more focused on code review longer term. NVK had brought this up in the spaces I had on Saturday and he basically said what I thought, what I suspected, and I trust he's a much closer to this than I am, that a lot of these people are not doing code review. And that was confirmed by some of the other developers that were on stage or t- more technical-minded people like Luke Dash Jr. I think someone else confirmed it. From the spaces, it's recorded. You guys can try to find it. It's buried in there somewhere. But yeah, what happens now is people who are new to Core... Oh, I know the other thing I was going to say. NVK also said that the reason they don't want to work on code reviews because it's not sexy and they want to come up with their own thing and there's not a lot of upside to be a volunteer to do or just an underpaid develop uh, core developer to work on code review long-term. They start out with code review. Everyone who comes into core is encouraged to do some code review, but then they fairly quickly move on to other stuff. So it, it takes a long time to get some of these pull requests and bits reviewed. Does that anybody else find that a little concerning that the brand new people that they're bringing in are being asked to do code review? Because if something is potentially damaging That's, to Bitcoin, how what is the defense mechanism against that? Yeah, yeah. So multiple people have to review the code, and there's always an expert that reviews it pretty much is how they do it. That's my understanding. It's more that the code just doesn't get reviewed is the bigger issue. But the code that is committed, they're very careful about that is my understanding. And so there, and there's a lot of debate. It all happens on GitHub. They don't use the IRC channels as much anymore. So communication is another issue, but yeah. In terms of code review, I think it's the review that is being done and the code that's being committed is fine. It's just not happening as fast as we'd like. And Luke and others have been complaining, not complaining, but pointing out that layer one Bitcoin developers like Core could use more engineers helping out instead of just people talking about the code on X or something. Like everything else in Bitcoin, there's no formal process. There can't be, because who who's to say what's formal? So the process shifts and evolves over time. And the more urgency there is to address something, the more it starts to gel. And then when it's when there's nothing urgent, it kind of falls falls apart because there, there isn't an, enough incentive. So there's a, there's this debate, right? I don't want to spend any time on it, but there's the, kind of this debate right now as to whether there should be any intervention regarding what's taking up block space that isn't pure Bitcoin transactions. And so this is what's causing this, rev- this open discussion of a review of where should the discussion be and what should the priorities be and who should be involved. 
but for the time being, Bitcoin works as as largely as intended. There's some debate about whether these things are legitimate or not. And so that's getting worked through a lot of discussion. And Terence is actually <laughs> Terence is holding spaces that I think are are influencing the discussion for better or for worse, Terence, and sometimes, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. We got <laughs> I think I think Terence is fun. trying to break yeah. a Guinness World Record for longest spaces held. Yeah, like it was all day and all. Uh, I mean, I saw yeah. uh, Terence. I don't know what time you started that space on Saturday, but like I looked and it was like one thirty in the morning, if I'm not mistaken, okay, my time, so, and it's mm-hmm. still going. I'm like, what? Is, what? So the last uh, several hours, I would say. Um, I, I had planned Saturday night, so I left, and the people wanted to keep... It seemed like there was good momentum. I trusted the co-hosts as people I knew quite well from Clubhouse, like hundreds of hours together, and people that everybody liked, or not a lot of people like Brad Mills and Dusty were the two co-hosts. So what I did was I left my, what I call my ex oh, you, you pulled a puppy. You just left it on, and you went away, I and told they did the I co-hosting. <laughs> but I told them I would do that. That's and funny. That if they wanted to continue, I would make it hopefully unruggable. And meaning like the phone went just time out from lack of activity. So they yeah, kept going I and you. I would check it from my other phone while I was at this party. And I was, oh my God, they keep going. So it went on That's for funny. a long time. At one point it was just Dusty as the sole co-host Brad left. But yeah, it was pretty funny. But yeah, okay. that, that just turned out because my cousin, because I wanted to see my cousin's kids. I play basketball and soccer with them, and I'm very popular as a sort of uncle. And I wanted to hang out with my cousin and his kids because his you know, wife works on Saturdays. And he didn't get my text, so I had I was I thought we were had we talked about a week ago about hanging out. And it was falling up the day of, and I was like, hey, are we hanging out? And by the time okay. he saw it, Terrence, I feel like we're a little off topic. Oh, thank God. And a little off topic right now. We can end no, that with real quick. Larry, Larry called. He wants his racquetball doubles partner back. So, you know, the spaces was a good run. You showed who the king of clubhouse is, but Larry wants his partner back. Yeah, okay, I, moving on. Next topic. Yeah, sorry. Related to that, I wanted to say that the scaling is also a debate that we won't maybe talk about CTV and covenants. And then the the other thing I wanted to say was the risk of having all these Black Rocks and Van X contributing to core. The worry is that their interests, which is custodial Bitcoin, is very different from those of us who came into Bitcoin. What our interests are, which is financial freedom, meaning you self-custody Bitcoin as hard money. We need to do a whole show on on this because this is the ETF show and it's too slippery a slope to start talking about the Mexican standoffs and everything else. So we just got to, we got to get back to ETF. It's it's definitely coming. So let's keep going with the ETF and the ETF thread. And yeah, that's a thing that we'll have to get talked about. Go ahead, Macro. This is related. I just shared in the nest. Gensler's actively posting a thread right now that I feel is probably relevant to the discussion. So I just wanted to hop back up and share that for y'all real quick. You're going to make me read it? You should say what it is. What is it? All right, I'll just go ahead and read through it for everyone. That <laughs> if I can actually... I see at least the first one. Hold on. All right. A thread. Some things to keep in mind if you're considering investing in crypto assets. You. Investment in crypto assets also can be exceptionally risky and are often volatile. 
a number of major platforms and crypto assets have become insolvent and or lost value. Investments in crypto assets continue to be subject to significant risk. Number three, fraudsters continue to exploit the rising popularity of crypto assets to lure retail investors into scams. These investments continue to be replete with fraud, bogus coin offerings, Ponzi and pyramid schemes, and outright theft, where a project promoter disappears with investors' money. So it seems to me like just a quick, let me save face before these things go live, but I don't know. I just figured anytime he's tweeting the next couple of days is probably going to be somewhat relevant. So just thought I'd throw it out there and see what you guys thought. It's a fair warning, right? And I, I actually think listening to that's really good, right? He's he's saying Bitcoin, not crypto. <laughs> he's everywhere. He's saying crypto is replete with these. Crypto is replete with that. And and he, what he's not saying is, and we're approving Bitcoin ETFs, which is the the implied thing. So it's be careful. We're approving something. Don't get fooled to buy the knockoffs. And I think that's probably a decent message. Who knows what, how well it'll be received or not? But but I I certainly echo the sentiment of Bitcoin, not crypto. I would add Bitcoin is real Bitcoin is better than securitized ETF Bitcoin. But he and I may disagree on that, or maybe he even agrees. Who knows? That is fair. And that's how I read it as well. It'd be interesting to see if he continues the thread with anything more. So far, it's just three, three replies, but I guess we'll see. It seems like yeah. he posted about 10 minutes ago. It probably won't go any farther. Exactly. Because all of the, the entire thread was posted 10 minutes ago. It's not like he did one three minutes, did one three minutes apart, another one three minutes later. You don't think he's just brainstorming as he goes along? Is going to the fourth point? <laughs> <laughs> this is carefully considered. I, I use X for brainstorming, but yeah, he does not. And the, the other thing I'd say is, yes, it's Bitcoin, not crypto. Like we understand that. But the way you wrote it, he's pretty careful to only mention crypto assets and not Bitcoin the entire time and not really drawing a distinction. So it's it gives him an out. I think in number three, where he talks about fraudsters and pyramid schemes and so forth, outright theft and investments in crypto continue to be risky, it gives them an out to say, hey, if there is fraud that's discovered, let's say on a, I just to hypothetically, like a Chinese exchange, OKCoin or something, where they allegedly fake volume and do price manipulation, that it gives them an out to say, see, I told you that this crypto assets, including like a Bitcoin ETF, was risky and there was potentially fraud in the underlying okay we got about eight minutes left ish before we want to start moving and wrapping up here well there's uh, one so more one i'm sorry to interrupt you there's one more really important etf versus real bitcoin point that we haven't touched on yet it was a point that neil made to me over the weekend which is it's pretty huge for from a tax implication perspective etf is a security which means if you have taxable gains or losses that you want to realize you must be out of the market you must sell your asset and be out of the market for 30 days before buying back in with the actual property of bitcoin if you have an opportunity to become more tax efficient by selling and buying back you can do it in the same minute you can do it in the same day you just need the transaction record that you actually sold it and then you can claim your uh, attached gains or losses and buy right back in. And this is perhaps more meaningful in terms of giving you comfort in 
in buying and selling it than anything. So I just wanted to make that point quickly. Neil or Ter- Terrence really pioneered this in a big way for, for Swan clients last year. And I know you were involved in it, in helping clients with it too. But this is something that you cannot do with an ETF that you can do with real Bitcoin, which is sell it and buy it back and then have the taxable gain or taxable loss to... The loss. It just applies to loss losses. They don't care about gains, the IRS. Well, if you have other loss, maybe you lost money because you did, weren't 100% in Bitcoin, you bought something that went down. So you no, want no, to I'm saying, no, no, I'm saying if you buy and sell some, or sell and buy something back and it has a gain, there's... The IRS recognizes the gain I see. immediately. They don't care about There's no wash sale rules for gains. It's only for the losses, Got it. which is why people would do it, right? Because they want to accelerate losses. But this is a huge advantage of holding Bitcoin over a Bitcoin ETF, especially in, in bear markets. But even in a bull market, if you bought in and for some reason, let's say the price corrected like 10, 20%, you could sell it, buy it back instantly with Bitcoin, recognize the tax loss. You can't do that with a security. That's the current law, but ask your CPAs, not me. Yeah. <laughs> so to make it crystal clear for those who are interested, Bitcoin is a commodity. No wash sale rules apply. That only applies to securities. ETFs are securities. So that's why with the Bitcoin ETF, even though the underlying is a commodity, the ETF being a secure Bitcoin ETF being a security, you have to wait 30 days after you sell before you can rebuy again. Otherwise, the IRS is unhappy and you violated their rules. You can buy back. You just won't be able to take advantage of your loss. Exactly. So you, basically, your basis just shifts. Your basis shifts. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but and that, if you wait 30 days, obviously the price can spike way up, as it often does. And so then you're rebuying at a much higher price. You're literally selling low and buying high, which is horrible. And, yeah, and then the advantage you got from taking that tax loss isn't even worth it because you've got blown out of your position. So that's, again, a unique advantage uh, with Bitcoin over these new ETFs, which are our securities, at least as the law stands today. Who knows if they'll try to change things in the future, but that's how it is today. All right, this is a really good point. Thank you for bringing it up, and thanks for the thoughts on it, Neil and Terrence. Okay, there's one last thing I want to hit, and uh, then we'll do some closing comments and move to wrap. I want to talk about scale for a minute. <clears throat> I know this has been discussed off and on over the last, I don't know, however many months, but I ran across something today that I found really interesting. So the first thing is, everybody likes to talk about the major players coming into the Bitcoin ETF market. They're talking mostly about either ETF filers or market makers, authorized participants. So you've got BlackRock, they manage $9 trillion. Morgan Stanley, $3.1 trillion. Goldman Sachs, $2.67 trillion. By the way, Goldman, <clears throat> from what I understand, is now in either negotiations or close to signing a deal to be an authorized participant on the BlackRock one. JPM, it was revealed, already is. You've got Fidelity at $4.24 trillion, JP Morgan at $3.3 trillion, Bank of New York Mellon $1.91 trillion, Invesco at $1.48 trillion, Bank of America $1.46 trillion. Now, I do not say that to indicate that, that this is what they're going to invest in the ETFs. It's just the amount of money they're managing, right? So for to get an idea of the scale of influence that they have. However, this is what I found interesting. This came from Caitlin Cook. And she's 
actually quoting somebody else named Think Advisor who says the register it registered excuse me investment advisory industry which does not include assets managed by broker dealer firms like the ones we were just talking about or hybrid broker dealer RAAs this industry the RAA industry grew by 2.1 2.1% to 2022 there is over 15,000 fiduciary investment advisors and they manage 114 trillion dollars in assets for close to 62 million clients. So this is the area that I think, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about this. That is a gigantic chunk of money. And if people simply, when the ETF goes live, simply call up their RIA and and say, hey, can I have three or 5% or 10% of my portfolio allocated to Bitcoin? They now have a way to do this. That is a gigantic pile of money. Does anybody have any thoughts on this? This is the big question as to what will actually happen. Will RIAs be calling up their clients and saying, let's get into this because there's lots of other people who are going to get into this. It's going to move. You can be early. Will people be themselves be calling en masse, asking to get in? Will the RIAs say, be careful, this could be dangerous? Gary Gensler put out a four-tweet thread today warning people about crypto. Like We don't know exactly the conversations that are going to take place. And so uh, I think the the question on the acceleration here and and the adoption is what's uncertain, right? And uh, but there, is there a ton of money out there that has been kept at the sidelines for all these like regulatory, reputational, inaccessibility reasons? Absolutely. And so is this opening the floodgates for this? And and how quickly does the money flow through the floodgates? That's the that to me is the question. But it's it's definitely an opening of floodgates that were closed before. Yeah, and I think a lot of that will be reverse inquiry, meaning meaning clients will ask their RIAs, "Hey, how do I get some of that Bitcoin?" And then the RIA will do some research or just hear about the BlackRock ETF and send them there or another ETF because the the incentives align better, so they can continue to collect their one percent asset under management fee as opposed to sending them to us or Coinbase or something. Yeah, for all for everything that we said about how why owning real Bitcoin is better than ETFs, the one thing that is true for ETFs is that for many clients, it's so easy, right? It's like, you're already set up, you already got money in an account, you, it, you're already holding securities, you just ask to buy an, a different security piece of cake. You don't have to figure out self-custody. You don't have to figure out what Bitcoin is. You're just, you're tracking the price. And I, I think that's going to appeal to, obviously, some percentage of the population. Easy. On the surface, it feels uh, more secure or more trustworthy to go with a Fidelity Bitcoin ETF than, say, Coinbase with their lawsuit issues. They might, not everybody's heard of us, for example. And then the last is a unit bias they get rid of because they're going to be offering these at, let's say, 25 or 45 bucks a share. So it's very easy for someone to limp in with 100 shares as opposed to buying Bitcoin, even though the minimum, let's say at Swan, is $10. They can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, but a lot of people don't like the idea or don't know that they can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. All right. Let's get some closing comments and move to wrap up. Does anybody have anything they want to say, mention, et cetera, before we close? Bitcoin, not ETF, for tax and sovereignty 
and security reasons. It's going to be confiscated eventually. They did 6102 before. Buy Bitcoin. Quick thought on that. I could see the big brokers trying to lobby Congress to change the laws to not allow wash sale rules or to apply wash sale rules to Bitcoin just so people won't use Bitcoin over their ETFs. Something to keep in mind. Yes. Okay, I'm going to share a quick joke tweet that I saw this morning that I thought was hilarious. This is from South African Hoddle. He says, the five most difficult things to say in life. Number one, I'm sorry. Number two, forgive me. Number three, you were right. Number four, Worcestershire sauce. (laughs) And number five, I was wrong about Bitcoin. So just something from CNBC. Looks like Wednesday now for Bitcoin ETF decision expected to be approved. That was from Kate Rooney of CNBC. Oh, Wednesday's going to be a big day. And Fox Business reported the same thing this weekend. So now we have Fox Business and CNBC both saying it's going to be Wednesday. Which means they're leaking it out to the market, which means it's probably true. Okay, let's go. That's it. We're wrapping up. I do want to point out the next couple of days, we've got special co-hosts. Today, it was Neil Jacobs, who is absolutely fantastic. You guys know him from being one of the original hosts of the original Cafe Bitcoin. He will be around, I believe, every Monday going forward until he's not. Then Tuesday, we've got P, who is going to be fantastic. The guy is absolutely hilarious. I know tons of people know who he is, and he's going to be awesome on Tuesdays. Wednesday is going to be Tomer. Thursday is going to be John Har. Friday is going to be Sam Callahan. So that what that's what we've got coming up for this entire week and into the future as well. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. By the way, keep your eye on the Swan YouTube and the Twitter as we will be streaming live ETF coverage with the play-by-play as it happens. If you haven't got your tickets for Pacific Bitcoin, you can do with promo code CAFE. You can also pay in Bitcoin if you want for a 21% off. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. This is also a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, and Fountain. Thanks to Swan, the sponsor of the show, my crew, for always being here. I'm your host, Alex Danzik. Work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. Thanks to the speakers, the new hosts that are coming up that are going to be doing the show from here on out. Really looking forward to you guys doing that. It's going to be awesome. Love you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today and crush it.